Hello and welcome to episode 267 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. This is the very last episode of 2021, so thank you so much for listening this year. It's much appreciated. Is it fair to say that you hope 2022 will be a better year? Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm still desperate to celebrate in the saunas of Rochdale when this show hits the dizzying heights of the 36th most popular UK true crime podcast. But like an announcement that the Kings of Leon are recording no new material, not that they have anyway for the last five years, we can but hope. Anyway, whatever your plans are for 2022, I wish you all the very, very best. Today's story from London follows a very similar theme to that we've heard many times this year. An event happens which reveals just how little was known about the people involved. Back to this perception versus reality, which is of course amplified through social media. All those pictures you've seen in the last week of those people having just the most amazing Christmas. You felt a bit envious, I know you did. I wonder though about the reality for many of those people. As we've heard on this podcast time and time again, however much you think you know somebody, do you really? So this is your final chance to take advantage of my December offer of a free signed copy of my book, Gone Fishing, about serial killer Angus Sinclair, for anyone who signs up to support me at Patreon for an annual package, for as little as £15 a year. As going out on New Year's Eve is proving somewhat problematical, With many of our various governments still shutting stuff down, you may as well just stay in with a good book. And when you finish that, you can start mine. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and the jobs are good and you can even get other exclusive content too. It is the gift that just keeps on giving. Talking of Patreon, I'd like to thank all my supporters and especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Lisa Rose, Kasara Penman, Jamie Lysek, Leda Gale, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Lynn's Milligan. Thank you so much for getting on board with me here at Patreon. It is so much appreciated. I'm delighted that this episode is brought to you again by Drink Trip. Now, if you haven't yet tried the CBD infused Drink Trip products, you really need to. You need these drinks in your life, trust me. Let me tell you about my very favourite, and that is the drinks. The mix pack is elderflower mint, peach ginger and lemon basil, and they are delicious. Vegan, gluten-free, with no added sugar, made in the UK in 100% recyclable cans. But forget all that. What really matters here is the taste. They're just amazing. Deliciously refreshing, lightly sparkling, and infused with natural adaptogens for stress-free sipping. I like it straight from the can, but over the Christmas period, why not add them to cocktails too? Just such a beautiful drink. You need this in your life. To take a trip, go to drink-trip.com. Anyone listening to this show can get 20% off their first order with free shipping with the code TRUECRIME20. That's drink-trip.com and use the code TRUECRIME20 for 20% off. Let's get straight on with setting some context for the story today with our guest a month in year game. The top album in the UK was Nicki Minaj with Pink Friday, Roman Reloaded. 
Megan Trainer with No, Top of the US Charts. And in Australia, the top album was Up All Night. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I stay awake for question time nowadays, it feels like an all-nighter. Know that feeling? In the news this month, Somalia's National Theatre was struck by a suicide bomber, killing 10 people, including the presidents of the Somali Olympic Committee and Football Federation. Rangers football club owner Craig White was banned for life from any involvement in Scottish football. 38,000 London Marathon entrants had their home and email contacts published in a data protection breach. I don't know about you, but stories don't get much more exciting than data protection breaches. The 158th University Boat Race between Oxford and Cambridge was stopped mid-race due to a swimmer in the water. Cambridge went on to win when a clash of oars at the restart left Oxford with a broken paddle. No, not a euphemism, they had a broken paddle. And in UK true crime news, in a rare move, television cameras were allowed into the High Court in Edinburgh to film the sentencing of David Gilroy for the murder of Suzanne Pilly. Did you guess the month and year? It was April 2012. So on to today's story. Her family were worried. It was most unlike Carol not to contact her brother and mum in Durham. She had last contacted them by phone on the 16th of April and they had been concerned. But when in May they received a letter saying that her direct debit to the National Lottery had not been honoured and they still hadn't heard from her, they went to the police to report her missing. But the police didn't want to investigate. They said that Carol was a grown woman who lived all over the world and was enjoying her life. Not getting in touch with family is relatively common and they said there was nothing suspicious in her seeming disappearance. It was four months later that Carol's body was found in a zipped-up holdall in the boot of a car in New Malden, South London. Her family's suspicions had proved correct. So just who had killed Carol? And why? 49-year-old Carol War seemed to have a great life. Originally from County Durham in the northeast of England, and even as a child she was proud, independent, and had a liking for the nicer things in life. And why not? And now when we pick up the story in 2012, she was doing very well for herself. She owned a beautiful luxury flat in fashionable Marylebone in central London, and she dressed impeccably, with a particular liking for Cartier jewellery. She had clearly done well in her time working in the oil industry in the Middle East, and even now, she appeared to have influential links to the ruling Gaddafi family in Libya. She spoke to friends in London of the glamorous expat lifestyle she'd enjoyed, spending time with other expats and drinking in embassy bars. One former boyfriend, a civil servant, said that Carol was attractive and charming. He said she was great fun. She openly told me she also had a rich benefactor who lived near Durham. She did the accounts for him and she got well paid for it. But it seemed that somewhere along the way, someone had broken her heart in the Middle East, and that is why she made a complete break and returned to the UK and northwest London. Luckily, it seemed like she'd used her money wisely, and so she was able to buy such a nice place 
in that most exclusive part of London, Marylebone. But as we hear so often on this podcast, things are really as they seem, and very few people, if any, know exactly what's going on in the lives of others. And although she had lots of friends, Carol was lonely. She spent a lot of time on dating sites looking for someone that she could spend the rest of her life with, but she couldn't seem to find what she was looking for. She clearly hadn't found plenty of fish, whereas you may know, you are assured dates of the very highest possible quality. Carol also had a secret life where she was working as a sex worker. She advertised her services on adultwork.com under the name Post Totty Fun. On this site, she described herself as, and I quote, not a professional, but an enthusiastic amateur who could give the genuine girlfriend experience and was interested in good, clean adult fun. And this advert, along with her good looks, bought her plenty of work. Friends that she did share this aspect of her life with said that she enjoyed the sex work most of the time and she saw the money, which was up to £500 for a few hours, as an added bonus. She used the cash to pay for all the everyday items in her life, which allowed her to leave her savings untouched. One man she met through this work was 41-year-old Rakesh Bayani, known by some as the Mad Indian Gambler, who liked to gamble lots and seldom won. He was heavily in debt and had a track record of scams and defrauding people who crossed his path. He'd begun his gambling career on slot machines at travelling fairgrounds when he was just eight. He'd once had to resign in a hurry from his job at a firm of accountants when he was caught fiddling his expenses. Twice he mortgaged his parents' home and used the money to gamble. And on another occasion he bought a petrol station and started gambling all the money he made until he had literally totally run out of petrol. Another time he approached a betting shop manager with £100,000 of fake money. He tried to persuade the manager to let him put a £100,000 bet on a premiership football match. The bet wasn't taken, so instead he stuck all of the counterfeit cash on Phil Mickelson to win the final round of the US Masters. True to form, Mickelson bombed and he lost everything. Again. When we pick up the story, Bayani had told Carol that he was a doctor, more specifically a top doctor, as he posed as a consultant cardiologist at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington. The two progressed from a business relationship where he bought sex from Carol to a relationship, although he was still married with a young daughter and Carol knew this. But although she knew he was a gambler, what she was unaware of is this man sometimes known, not affectionately, as Tricky Ricky, was once banned from every lab brooks in Britain and lost over £215,000 in one night at a casino. She knew he gambled, but he gave the impression of a successful gambler with his impeccable dress and suave ways. As they started to investigate the case, detectives discovered that Bayani was nothing if not persuasive. And he worked this charm on Carol, who lent him £54,000 in February 2011 on the basis of a fraudulent bank draft which he used as security. He paid her back some of the cash with gambling winnings 
but to win, he had bought his own stake with fake bankers' drafts. For this offence, Bayani was soon caught, and the result was that he was sent to prison for 18 months, and Carroll was still owed £40,000. But despite this, Carroll supported him in court, even speaking up on his behalf, and she visited him a number of times in the slammer. Carroll thought the two were friends, but she was naive in her assessment of Bayani. He didn't do friends. He saw people he could manipulate and take from, and with Carol, he knew there was a rich seam of cash to be mined. Detectives believe that despite Carol's kindness towards him, it was during this spell in prison where he decided he was going to kill her. And on his release from prison, it seemed to click with Carol that Bayani was more interested in her money than spending time with her, and so she demanded he returned the more than £40,000 that he owed her. Using all the leverage she had, Carol threatened to tell his wife and family all about him and what he had done in the past. This was a significant threat for Bayani, whose family had no idea about his fraudulent activities, not even knowing he'd ever been to jail for fraud. They thought he was in a residential centre, addressing his gambling addiction. This raised the stakes significantly. And on the 16th of April 2012, Bayani was at Carroll's flat with an acquaintance of his, 48-year-old Nicholas Kuttner. Kuttner was another... (laughs) character. He had, as the tabloids always say, enjoyed an expensive private school education at £30,000 a year, Pangbourne College. But like Bayani, he was a convicted fraudster. The two had met in prison. He had 97 convictions, and they shared a love for gambling high stakes. To allow Kuttner to do this, he'd used many ruses, with the most recent being when he pretended to be a Geneva-based luxury wine merchant, and he repeatedly stole goods by paying with stolen checks. Or if they were valid, they always bounced. What a pair. Quite what happened on the 16th of April is unclear. But sometime late, or in the early hours of the 17th of April, Bayani stabbed Carol in the neck, killing her. Although both men would later blame the other, yep, that old chestnut again, it's clear that Kuttner at least knew what had happened, even if he wasn't the one who carried out the fatal blow. In exchange for his help, Bayani made it clear to Kuttner that there was a good payday for him with Carol's money. Although sophisticated in so many ways, they were also lazy and careless. For example, Bayani gave a big issue seller £60 to buy the biggest holdall possible, and this was then used to conceal Carol's body. The plan was to bury the body in the Cotswolds, but they then changed their plans and instead hid it in a lock-up garage in South London, the same lock-up where it was eventually found. Bayani and Kuttner weren't really in the business of austerity and saving for a rainy day. They wanted their fun now, and in the days and weeks after killing Carol, they sold her furniture and jewellery, took all the money that Carol had saved for her niece in a special account, and managed to obtain a £200,000 bridging loan on her flat. Unsurprisingly, Bayani used his share of the money to gamble, and we aren't talking a £10 accumulator on the football. He booked himself into the exclusive hotel 
number five Cavendish Square in London's West End, and he frequented casinos where, of course, he lost thousands and thousands of pounds very quickly. Kuttner followed a similar routine. Using money to impress, he even took a young university student who needed help with her fees for a night out. No Pizza Hut here. Instead, this evening ended up in the exclusive Sanderson Hotel, and then the next day, he too lost large amounts at the casino. Again. The men knew enough about fraud and the reality of CCTV to have a plan of how to best use Carol's credit cards. They hired women who looked like Carol to use her cards at shopping centres to buy goods. Detectives would later capture the two men on CCTV footage from banks and bookies, often with a Carol look-alike who shared in the proceeds of the fraud. One woman, for example, was sent out to buy expensive £5,000 handbags from Chanel and Selfridges. But this was all small amounts of money compared to the big prize, the proceeds from Carol's flat, which she owned outright. They made every effort to secure a quick sale, which would have netted the pair almost £1 million. Kuttner played a key role here, where he posed as Carol's brother for the sale. But in the end, it was the sale of this flat that proved their downfall. It was the greed of the pair which led to them being caught by police after they tried to rent Carol's flat to two sets of tenants. The two groups arrived at the flat at the same time and suspecting something odd was happening, they contacted the police. And once they had this clear lead, detectives used cell phone evidence to put both Kuttner and Bayani at Carol's flat on the night of the 16th of April, the day they believed she was killed. Bayani was finally arrested on his way home from a holiday in Spain. He admitted being in Carol's flat on the evening of 16th of April with Kuttner, but said he had left at 10.30pm and he hadn't killed her. Bayani told detectives how Carol was involved with the two men on a complex fraud, how she was in on the act and had agreed to be cheated as part of an insurance scam. He told how they had planned for Carol to go away for a while so they could steal money using her identity before she claimed the money back from her bank's insurance when she came home in a few months. He fully admitted he was a fraudster, but said he'd never hurt anyone, that just wasn't his thing. For him, it was all about the money that he could then use to gamble. But then Carol's body was found zipped up in a holdall in the boot of Bayani's VW Golf in New Malden, South London. At least now her family and friends knew for sure that she had been killed and were able to ensure she had a proper funeral. But tragically, just five days after Carol's funeral, her mum collapsed and later died, broken-hearted, unable to understand how and why the tragic events had unfolded. When Carol's body was found in his car, Bayani knew he was in big trouble, so he changed his story, blaming Kuttner, accusing him of being violent and unstable. Bayani said that when he met Kuttner in a cafe on Edgware Road in late April, he told him that Carol had died a week before. He said, he was in a very bad physical way. I said, well, what's happened? I'm thinking something has gone wrong with the fraud and he said, Carol's dead. He was telling me that Carol was dead in her flat 
and it just seemed like the world had stopped really at that moment. But I only told how they went to her flat to retrieve her body, which was under her bed. He said, I'm in a panic. I've never really seen a dead body before in my life. He held her legs out and tried to put her in the bag. I was nearly physically sick at that moment, just to smell what I was seeing. I couldn't really deal with it. Turning on each other, as we hear so often on this podcast, Kutna wasn't having this at all. Kutna was represented by the ex-Prime Minister's QC brother, Alex Cameron, but he was a man of few words. Throughout all the police interviews and his time in court, Kutner just said eight words. But he did manage to produce a mystery witness, Mr X, who told how Bayani had confessed to the murder in prison. The witness claimed that whilst in prison, Bayani had reenacted the blow that killed Carol and later described himself as a lady killer. The police charged them both with murder and they faced trial for killing Carol War. Both men pleaded not guilty to murder. Rakesh Bayani was found guilty and told he must serve a minimum term of 27 years. Co-accused Nicholas Kutner was found not guilty of murder, but still jailed for a total of 13 years, seven years for perverting the course of justice by concealing the death, and six years for conspiracy to defraud. A third man who'd been accused of recruiting the lookalikes was acquitted. As the two men were taken down after sentencing, they expressed no emotion and no words were spoken. The judge said that the murder and subsequent dumping of Carol's body was done with greed, callousness and total lack of any regard for her. He said Bayani's actions in persisting with the fraud after killing Carol were breathtakingly wicked. The murder had arisen out of an argument about money and the judge described the victim as a risk-taker and manifestly vulnerable to con men. He said, without a second thought, you calmly and comprehensively set about stealing her identity. Following sentencing, Carol's brother Christopher said, they will sleep easily in their beds as they showed no remorse at all. I just can't envisage any human being treating another human being like that. And he spoke again about the frustration he'd felt at the police investigation, saying, Right up to July, the police did not take our concerns seriously. They thought Carol was a grown woman, out enjoying herself with friends. In response, investigating officer Justin Davis who took over the case when it turned into a murder inquiry in July 2012, said, The time it took for the homicide investigation to start up led to delays, in particular in areas of evidence that we would ordinarily look at. Bayani and Kutner cleared out the flat, which impacted on forensic and CCTV opportunities. Carol's lifestyle itself caused several difficulties. She was engaged as an escort, which is a profession, where you put yourself at risk. You are meeting people that you ordinarily would not have met before. Carol War's murder was the senseless killing of a woman who put her trust in people she thought were her friends. Bayani is a confidence trickster who murdered her with the sole intention of stripping her assets 
and the belongings she'd worked so hard for. Bayani clearly had no intention of friendship with Carol, and his motivation was clearly her money. Both men did not waste any time in spending this money, using it to buy gold, use prostitutes, and live a champagne lifestyle. Carol War was a wealthy woman. Her years of hard work, both in the UK and abroad, were squandered in a matter of three months. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Once again, I hated the lurid headlines about Carol's death, which concentrated on sex work. It so annoys me. As I say so often on this podcast, who cares what job someone does to make money, so long as it's legal? Well, except estate agents, obviously. But when will people stop judging? When she met her murderer, Carol was a lonely woman who was looking for a partner. And as we hear so often on this podcast, a kind, generous person with money is wide open to being targeted by men like Bayani and Kutner. Men who wanted the money to fund their lifestyles of champagne, sex workers and gambling in top casinos, but didn't have the money to do so. And as for Bayani, did he make the decision to kill Carol even when he was in prison, knowing how much her possessions could fund his future lifestyle? Or did he only make that decision when she threatened to expose him? I wonder. Whatever the reason, the facts are that he callously murdered Carol in her own home. She must have been utterly terrified in that split second when she realised that this man she saw as a friend and had spent intimate time with was about to take her life. And the lack of respect in stuffing the body into a holdall and dumping it into a car. Just throwing it away like it had no value. I find that pretty tough to hear. Bayani is still in prison when you listen to this. Kutner, on the other hand, is likely to be out again. Let's just hope that under some other name, he isn't involved with some fraud that directly affects you or someone that you care for. But our final thoughts aren't we with these two. We feel for her mum, who beside herself with grief, died so soon after burying her daughter. And her brother, although knowing it would have made no difference to his sister's murder, he still remained bitter about the response of the police to his missing sister. And now, he has to live the rest of his life without her. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group where you'll be made very welcome. And to support the show and catch all the exclusive content, please head over to patreon.com slash UK true crime. Remember, it is the last chance to get your free signed copy of my book about Scottish serial killer Angus Sinclair. Please get your annual subscription at patreon.com slash UK true crime for as little as £15 a year, then I can pop the signed book in the post. Okay, so that's all for me for another week and another year. Enjoy the next few days or so, and please ignore any relatives or other guests. They can look after themselves. After all, this is the time to catch up on your true crime podcasts and programmes. So until we speak again next year, please do take it easy, and have a peaceful, healthy, and most importantly, classy 2022.
Cheerio for now.